this is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Credit where it's due, I guess. Get to that in just a minute, talking about the Twins and playing through it last night. It, much to my surprise, we got Chip Scoggins coming up on the show in just a little bit. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff with Chip, including um, you know how we think the Vikings season is going to shake out, how we think the Gophers football season might shake out, and what the Twins should do at the trade deadline. But first... What did I miss? And like I noted just a minute ago, Twins played through it last night. I was surprised. I, I turned on, uh, I think I was just looking at the looking at my uh, my computer at around seven o'clock, and I was like looking outside. I was like, Are the Twins gonna? Are they gonna play tonight? Because it was, you know, the forecast didn't look good. Like there's a legitimate um, threat of rain. Looked like the possibility of a rainout was pretty strong. And I was like, Well, they, you know, why they don't necessarily have to play uh, this game. They've got you know, a a, game, a day on on Wednesday where they could potentially make up a doubleheader with uh, with Chicago. Chicago still in town, but they played through it. And uh, you know, I've I've been critical of them for calling off games when it's kind of been borderline. And I think you know when you know Tuesday was one of those borderline days. Maybe even on the on the side of where I thought they would they would call a rainout, but they didn't. They played through it and they lost. 4-1. Jose Barrios was great. He only gave up one hit. Unfortunately, that one hit came up after a couple guys got on base. Some poor defense by the Twins. I think they made three errors in the game. Um, Two-run single kind of was the, the difference in the game. The Twins were chasing those runs the whole way. Um, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have played. Um, if they can get the game in, which they did, uh, good for them. Um, but just another one of those games that makes you realize this is just kind of the way this team is. They, they have a hard time putting together any kind of sustained stretch of really good baseball. And they've had three good starts pitching-wise in a row here uh, with Kenta Maeda, Bailey Ober, and Jose Barrios now, but just enough deficiencies on this team that something always seems to go wrong. You know, the, you know Tuesday night it was the hitting. They just didn't get... A lot of clutch hits. The defense let him down a little bit, and they gave up. You know, and the game is still close late. Uh, Alex Colomay gives up two runs, and they, you know, goes from a 2-1 game to a 4-1 game. When you've got that many deficiencies, it's hard to hide any of them because they're all going to resurface at various points and doom you, and that is what happened in the rain. Billy Hamilton making a huge catch, by the way, in the rain on uh, on Tuesday night so the twins fall to 35 and 49 with that rain soaked loss. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, senior assistant sports editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com/subscribe. Happy to have Chip Scoggins back on Daily Delivery. It's been a little while. It's uh, you know, it's summertime. We're we're all catching uh, little breaks here and there, but ba- you barely take a break. You know, we're we're probably <laughs> among the uh, the least uh, the least break uh, kind of guys in the uh, in the newsroom. But uh, Chip, how's your summer going? It is going well. It's going well. It's uh, I had a graduate, so it's been a steady stream of grad parties. I, I didn't realize till my my daughter went through it how big a deal the grad parties were, but um, I've had an a abundance of grad parties uh, in the last month, so that's that's where my weekends have been. All right, well that could be worse things, little uh, you know little no, get-togethers, things like that. It's just kind of fun, right? Yeah, it's great. It, you know the cool thing is, Mike. It's and I always make this pitch: if you have young kids, 
and you're sort of on the fence about becoming a, a coach, whether it's, you know, soccer or basketball or football, do it. I promise you. I mean, it's a time, time commitment. Um, but it, this, this wave of, you know, my son graduated and so many kids that I coached in, in basketball and baseball when they were, you know, when the biggest thing was juice boxes and animal crackers after the game, they didn't care about the sport. And then as they got older, you know, they became middle schoolers and then, um, they got on, you know, went through their high school career and it's, it was, uh, you know, it's a little emotional at times seeing these kids that become young men and they're going off and starting the next chapter in their, in their lives, but just, uh, the memories and catching up with them at these grad parties about being their coach. So that, that's my pitch to parents that with young kids get involved with, with, if they're involved in sports, you know, become a coach, uh, you won't regret it. I have young kids. I haven't, they don't really do youth sports yet. Although I could see a couple of them getting involved. Never thought I would be a coach, but then again, Chip, I haven't been asked yet, and it's probably hard to say no once you get asked. Well, you will because you work in sports. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to assume I know how to coach because I've wrecked that, sports. The, exactly. There was one. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know a lot about soccer strategy or um, alignments and positioning and all that, but I, I did get asked a couple times to coach soccer, and I can herd kids. When they're younger, I can herd them. Um, but you will get asked because uh, if you work in, in the sports uh, field, they will assume that you can coach and do it, Mike. You, you will not regret it. You are the Ted Lasso of East Metro youth <laughs> That's soccer. Right. That's well, right. Well, I, <laughs> luckily, my, my soccer coaching days ended uh, fairly quickly. Okay. I just do not know that sport. <laughs> well, good, good, uh, good to know that. Um, that's <laughs> no, that's fun. That's a good little uh, introduction to this segment. I want to talk to you today um, about, you know, some things that we need answers to, you know, that we, we aren't going to get answers to probably for a little while here, but I haven't had a chance to talk about the Vikings for a while. Cause honestly, we're kind of in, you know, we're kind of in the point of their season where it's the only time where they don't really do anything. Um, go for football as well, and maybe a twins subject, but all these things kind of percolating and they're going to get here faster than we realize. Cause we kind of, you know, July comes, we kind of take a breather from the sports calendar, but you know, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be just full, full sprint ahead with trade deadline, with training camp, with, you know, gophers football, you know, discussion starting up. So I want to start maybe with, with the Vikings mm-hmm. and, just, you know, as, as we've had, a, a, you know, a, a chance to absorb a little bit of this off season, you know, the, the remaking of the defense to a large degree, this idea of, you know, maybe this being, I don't say a last stand, but that's, that's kind of dramatic, but you know, the Zimmer Spielman alignment has been together for a while now. This is going to be year four for Kirk cousins. It does feel a little bit like a make or break kind of year, at least in terms of their long-term vision. And as we sit here right now, how do you feel about that? If you, do you have a sense of, of how you think that will go as we get closer to training camp starting? Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to call this a make or break season. And, you know, we haven't heard from the Wills about their expectations. That's typically not what they, their style as owners. Um, they're not going to be out there demanding, I would doubt, that this team get in the playoffs or win a playoff game or whatever their, you know, private expectations are. but when you look at this regime and how long it's been together, it's pretty unusual by today's NFL standards. You see, typically see a lot of turnover, but uh, the Spielman Zimmer uh, regime has been together for a long time. And, and if they don't make the playoffs, Mike, that will be three times in four years. And so 
would the will still have patience? We, you know, I think it's fairly well established that they like both Zimmer and Spielman and, and that they are patient owners, but three times in four years of missing the playoffs, I, I don't know that that would, um, you know, allow them to just kind of stand pat because I think, I think the temperature in town would be very hot at that point. But I, in saying that, all that, I like this team. I like what they, they've done on defense. Obviously, clearing up the Daniil Hunter situation with his contract was a major, major move. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they still try to tweak some things with it, um, the defense, maybe a rush in uh, opposite. Um, but when you look at – I was thinking about this, Mike. The last two games of the season, whatever the starting lineup was, I think you're on defense. I think you're only going to have one returning starter from that lineup in Harrison Smith. Yeah. I think you're going to have, if you looked at their last game, I think you're going to have 10 new starters to go off Harrison Smith, which is just staggering to think, how often do you see that? Yeah. You, you turn over a unit. Now, some of that was injuries. Obviously, some of that was just a lot of different things. Um, but I, to me, Zimmer, even to you know by his own admission, miscalculated trusting the young guys in the secondary last year, and we know how much he values veteran players and guys that have a track record and putting his his trust in those guys. And he went to Spillman and said, "We're fixing this defense and we're fixing it with veterans." And I think that's what you're going to see. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys that they brought in, and obviously getting back to injured guys or opt out guys that is a huge thing too, but um, especially in the secondary, all those veteran guys that came in, I wouldn't be surprised if you see just veterans joining Harrison Smith in the secondary. Yeah. I, I looked at that a few weeks ago and did a podcast with, uh, with Andrew Kramer and Ben Gessling who cover the Vikings. And I, I think I looked at the new Orleans game specifically, the one where they gave up like okay. 52 points on Christmas day. And it was, I think it was Harrison Smith. May, uh, there might've been one other guy, but I think that was, that was it in terms of like who you might see on the field to start a game. And, you know, where you're right, part of it was injuries, but part of it was, it does feel like it, Mike Zimmer realizes that, you know, this is year eight, whenever mm -hmm. they've been successful, it's been because the defense has been good. Um, and you can't, you know, if, if this is what we'd like to term a make or break year, he's not going to get broken with a bad defense or, or a defense they didn't invest in at least. No. And it's, it's, um, I think internally, I mean, they probably both Spielman and Zimmer probably feel that Sp uh, Zimmer to a larger degree because it's a lot easier to change a coach than a, than a GM and completely overhaul. But I, I still think they are so tied together that maybe Spielman could survive if, if they made a coaching change. But I, you do wonder if they wouldn't just say, you know what, we're going to start completely over with with the entire new regime. Um, but without knowing exactly Aaron Rodgers' situation and whether he's going to play or not, this looks like – I was out there for the first day of minicamp, and this looks like a playoff team to me, Mike. It, it really does. Um, offensively, I think their offensive line is going to be better. They're gonna, I, I, I would expect that both the rookies are going to start, um, Darison and Davis. Now, we – they're not just going to anoint them. People are saying, well, they, didn't, you know, they ran with the second team or third team in, in minicamp. Well, Mike Zimmer is not just going to give a rookie a starting job right off, you know. But I, I think by the time they get to the opener, I think those two will be in there. So I think the, the offensive line is going to be better. You look at the skill position guys, they're really good. 
if they can protect Cousins, we've seen, you know, the numbers he can put up. But it comes back to, I think, Cousins getting off to a really good start and not having a slow start where there's a lot of turnovers like we saw last year where they're their season is in catch-up mode, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I think the defense is going to be dramatically better just by the guys you're adding it who are coming back with Hunter and Barr and Kendricks, Pierce. Um, and so I think that uh, automatically makes them better. And then when you add in the, the other guys that they signed in free agency, this, this looks like a team that um, should be a playoff team. I agree with that. I'm always skeptical of the offensive line until it actually is better sure. because I think we've seen so many iterations of, oh, yeah, we, we got this guy, we got that guy, so that that fixes things. I mean, certainly they've got more continuity. They've got a chance to have a, a young offensive line that makes sense, but love to see a veteran or two um, added to that mix that could be kind of a plug-and-play guy if one of these rookies isn't ready because I just I feel like they're one or two guys short, and when you feel like you're one or two guys short, then that's that's a bad place to be one or two guys short. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I think the rookies are better than what they had last year, but they're still rookies, and there's no there's going to be growing pains. They're not just going to step in and be Pro Bowl players, I wouldn't think. Um, and so they're going to have the typical growing pains. And you're right, there may be – you know, a veteran that's still a cap casualty somewhere that uh, a team is, you know, up against the cap and a younger player is going to beat out a veteran. Now, you're not cutting an all-pro offensive right. line, so you you got to have some expectations there about what you'd be getting. But the plug-and-play, I, I agree that if you have injuries or whatever, we saw how decimated that line got last year and who you had to rely on, and it was it had guys that just should not be starting NFL offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think that's what Zimmer looked at is like, we, we, you know, we, we kind of joke about all the cornerbacks that they've signed. Just one more. Just one more. I mean, you need just one more. But I think that's his thing. It's like, look who they had to play last year. Yeah. You're talking about guys that probably should be on the practice squad or were on a practice squad. And I think he said, we're not doing that again. We're going to fix our depth um, with veteran guys. And at least he, they have a track record. How good they are, who knows, but at least they have a track record. I just think Zimmer feels more comfortable with those type of guys and having to rely on a bunch of rookies, which, I mean, they had a game last year. I remember doing a comp. I can't remember how many rookies on both sides of the ball that played, but it was just – I'd never seen it before that they had yeah. that many young guys. And so um, – but you're right. I mean, the offensive line is still in improvement mode. You still have to prove that you're um, better and that you're going to be, you know, a competent offensive line in pass rush. I think the center still has to show that he's he's going to make some improvement. Now, if you surround him with better guard play, will that make him right. better? I, I think that's the theory, but he he's he's definitely improvement mode too. So what what's the before we move on to go for football? What, what's the I'm trying to decide in my own head what's the minimum expectation or minimum level of achievement that they would have to you know do in 2021 to make me think okay. That was good enough. Let's run it back with the same crew again. Is it simply making the playoffs? Is it being more competitive than that? What What is it that makes you think, okay, let, let's keep this going for another year or two? Yeah, I would like to see, and this without knowing like what, you know, the ownership's uh, expectations are, but just getting to the playoffs, okay, that's, you know, that's better than not. But if you're really building towards something, 
you'd like to see him win a playoff game and, you know, be a legitimate threat and not – that's been part of it too, Mike. Look at the Zimmer. Yes, they, you know, every other year they make the playoffs or whatever. But look at the playoff losses. Yeah. And they've been so one-sided that it, it tends to kind of shape the way we view is like, yeah, were they really that close? When you get beat to that, you know, degree, whether it's San Francisco or Philadelphia, I remember walking out at San Francisco Stadium after that playoff game and think they are miles away from being a contender. And so get to the playoff and win a game and show that, you know, even if you lose, if it's, I hate to say moral loss, but the, the losses that they had just make you feel like they're not really close at all. Um, and so I don't think it's just good enough to get to the playoffs. I really don't. Go for football. Where, where, do, where do you sit on that? Because I feel like we had two kind of wildly different years. You had such a, such a high of 19, you know, when they won 11 games, even if, you know, if, if you wanted a little bit more, if they could have had one more win, it could have been gone from a really, really good season to a special season to last year, which was so much of a lost year. I, I'm having a hard time, A, figuring out what expectations should be this year, and, and B, like, what do I consider successful for this year's team? Do, should we be all in on this year's team at this point, or do we, are we still kind of waiting and seeing and, and, and trying to understand what this team is all about once they start yeah. camp? I would say, if not this year, then when? Okay. Because look, look at the experience that they have coming back. You have a three-year starter at quarterback, a three-year starter at running back who's going to be one of the top running backs in the country, a really, really good wide receiver. Their offensive line, they're all like 27. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're fifth and sixth-year seniors. I think they have a seventh-year senior tight end. I mean, these guys, they have the most experienced offensive line in college football. Defensively, Fleck went out and got some of the grad transfers to come in and plug holes where they really were thin. Defensive line, this is probably the most depth that they've had in defense line. Well, it is, but not probably. It's definitely the most depth that they've had in his, his time here um, where they have a legitimate two-deep along the defensive line. They went and got a linebacker uh, from Utah State. That's a grad transfer. And so you're not going to have a more experienced team than he has right now because of – because the NCAA given the free year um, and, and almost all their seniors, except the guys that went to the draft took advantage of it. Yeah. And it's not going to be this way next year. The, in 2022, they're not going to be this old and have this much experience. And so, yeah, last year, you know, and PJ says he wasn't disappointed by it because of all the things that were happening. And I, okay. I'll buy that a little, but they defensively, there were just things that, you know, were not good enough. Offensively, they weren't good enough. So you don't, you know, you have the same system offensively, same coordinator now, so you're not changing systems. So really, I think you've taken away all the excuses that, that can be had, you know, that really give me an excuse for why this team shouldn't be a legitimate factor in the West Division. And, and that comes down to you got to beat two of the rivals. One of the two route, you know, I mean, look at his record against Wisconsin and Iowa. I mean, this is, yeah. this is the time you, you need to go win those games. And so I think the expectation should be you have a very experienced team that has been in some big games. We're not going to hear Fleck talk about their youth this year because they're not young. They're very old. Um, 
And so I, I just don't see there, there are no excuses uh, for this team. Yeah. I like that. I feel like, I feel like that's a good point in terms of if not now, when, because this isn't, you know, this isn't the program yet where you just say every year that it could be their year. They, they have to, no. they have to have more than one breakthrough year before you think this is going to happen every year, you know, kind of like, you know, the, when Wisconsin sure. got the ball rolling, then all of a sudden the eight and five years where they're down years, not their, their up years. Sure. And, and I just, you know, how often are you going to have a quarterback as experienced as Tanner Morgan? and a running back and an offensive line that's experienced as this, this offensive line is. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think they have some NFL players on that offensive line. I mean, they have some real talented guys uh, that came back and, and Fale opting back in after sitting out last year. So, yeah, I, they're not at the point where you can just, you know, pencil them in for eight, nine, ten wins every year. I mean, they're clearly not at that point. but. Um, but when you have all these kind of factors come together and look at the number of grad transfers or, or just transfers that, yeah. that came here and took advantage of the one-time transfer exception um, to fill immediate needs. I think, I think PJ was real strategic in how he looked at his roster and said, we're not good enough there. We're not good enough there. Let's go get some transfers that can plug and play right now. And so I think they realized, you know, where their weaknesses were and they don't really want to take that, have that year where they take, okay, we're going to come in redshirt this guy. And in three years, he's going to be better. I think they said we're really thin along defensive line. Let's go get some grad transfers and, and put guys in there that can play right away. And so to me, that says they realize, Hey, you have all these factors. You have this veteran team. We need to try to, you know, make a big leap this year, come off of, you know, a weird year. Last thing, Chip. Um, I've talked about this with Lavelle. I've talked about this with uh, Patrick Royce. Twins trade deadline's coming up in a few weeks. Um, you know, we're not going to make probably any moves immediately, but, you know, once we get back from the all-star break, there's only going to be a couple of weeks until that deadline. Based on what we know at this moment, it kind of feels like a dilemma here in terms of how active they could be as sellers at the deadline. Basically, if they're super active, it could be a sign that they don't think they're going to be competitive next year either. But if they're only a little bit active, uh, are they really maximizing any value and, and, you know, trying to get really good again at a certain point here instead of just kind of treading water? So I'm I'm curious to, to know what you think, what you think they should do and what you think they will do. Are they going to be super active sellers? Are they going to be like, you know, on the fringes, clear out one or two? you know, expiring contracts and kind of, kind of moves. Well, I would say be super uh, aggressive, but that uh, is under an assumption that the guys that you're trying to get rid of have a, a high deal of value, which I just don't see it on this team. To be honest with you. I mean, I think Brios does, but there is no way, no way I would trade him. Really? Okay. I, I wouldn't trade him because who, who, who do you have left? I mean, there's, well, that's, that's the one. I mean, that's that's the one where if you trade him, you're admitting you're not going to compete some... in 22. But you're also saying, well, we're not competing with him in 21, even though he's been pretty good. So, I just think you got to have some good players. <laughs> you can't just have a bunch of prospects up here. And but he's the one guy that would bring you value. Um, it'll be. I, I don't. You know, maybe they fool themselves into thinking all these guys are just having down years even though they had down years the previous year too. Um, but 
okay, what kind of value is Snow going to give you? You're Nothing. Not no. getting in return. Um, you know, Taylor Rogers. I, 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 you know, he would bring you some value, but again, going back to if you do that, if you did Rogers and Burrios, to me, that you're telling your fan base. Uh, strap in. This is going to be a long. See you in 2023. Yeah, yeah but this is going to be a long rebuild. Is is that what they should do though? Because I don't know if this is. I, you know they're they're not young. Like I like you talked about no, the Gophers. Well, they're not young. That, no, this that's the thing. It's like this. You know, Kepler's not young. Blanco's not young. So Noah's 28. So, no, so it, is Polanco. he is what he is. Yeah, they're not they're not young players. So this is not like well, let's. I mean, the guys you wouldn't trade are you know. Lauren and killer off. Those right. are that's the future. That's yeah. your foundation. Right. You're not trading those guys. Um, they are the, they are the bucks and snow of five years ago where you're thinking, okay, this is our future. Um, so no, I, I think there's only probably two guys that, uh, you know, I, I think Cruz for American league team could, but probably just getting prospects. Right. I mean, yeah, you'll have value, but what are you getting back in return? I think the guys that really give you value are Brios and, and, Taylor Rogers, but I just, I, Mike, you got to have some good pitching. I mean, their pitching has just been horrendous. And there's not to say that you can't, you know, keep those guys and, and still try to piece other things together moving forward with some of the young guys. But um, I, I would, you know, you know, Simmons, I get rid of, uh, you know, I think Cruz. I don't know that anybody would take Donaldson um, with his injury history in that contract. I mean, it's, it's fun to talk about, but realistically, is anybody going to want to take on his contract with his injury history? I doubt it, you know? So, um, but I, I just, I mean, nobody wants a rebuild because that just, that's, you know, that's just a taboo word in sports world now. Um, so I just I would not I would not part with Burrios because I just don't see you know if you told me you had four pitchers in between AAA and AA that you think yeah. three would be ready next year I'd, I I might hear it a little bit more but I just don't see it you know yeah I think you answered your answer to the Burrios question probably answers the bigger picture question better than anything else I would I would be I would need a big offer, but I don't think I'd say he's off off the table just based on spend your best pitcher this year and you're still, you know, double digits back, you know, more than halfway through the season. You, you might have to get a little bit worse to get a lot better. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see because, you know, sports executives are so cognizant of saying rebuild to their fan base that they know what that means that people's like, all right, you want to rebuild? Here's my season tickets. Yeah. I'll, I'll circle back with you in a couple of years when you're right. deep because people aren't, aren't just going to want to put down hard earned money to watch a bad team play and you sell and hope because the twins have been down at you sold Sano and Buxton that hope for years and you know, Buxton when he's healthy, but the Sano thing has just been, he's a platoon guy. I mean, he's, yeah. He's an absolute platoon player now. He's, so. a, he's a corner infielder platoon guy, which is not what we'd <laughs> hope for Miguel Sano. And, and if I'm correct, I think the third highest paid guy on the team this year. Yeah, not great. In, in annual salary. So, Well, we'll see what they end up doing. Good stuff, Chips Goggins. Thank you for joining Daily Delivery as usual, and we'll, we'll catch up again soon. Actually, you'll be on 
next week too, talking about uh, talking about uh, the 1992 Final Four as part of that special series. So look forward to Chip on that as well. Let's end with the cooler. Giannis Antetokounmpo went from doubtful to questionable to playing in Game One of the uh, NBA Finals on Tuesday. I was surprised. I was surprised at first that he was listed as doubtful, despite seeming like he was making good progress. All of a sudden, he shows up in the starting lineup. wasn't enough though. Bucks lose. 118-105 to the Suns in that game. Suns take game one of that series. They're looking like they're going to be a pretty formidable opponent. Got to admit, it was kind of a weird game to watch for me. It still doesn't feel like an NBA Finals matchup. I don't mean that as any kind of uh, you know any kind of slight on these two teams. It just didn't quite feel like it. I'm just so used to having LeBron in the Finals or... You know, or the Warriors, or both. I, it just was a. It was strange to watch a Suns Bucks Finals uh, game one, and maybe I'll just get used to it as the series goes along. I don't. I, I I love that these two teams made it. I think it's it's good for basketball. It just felt weird to me. It didn't feel like an NBA Finals game, but I'm sure it felt like that to those two teams, including Chris Paul making his first Finals appearance, scoring 32 points in the victory. That'll do it for me today. Good show coming up tomorrow. And then Friday, I'll be joined by Paul Clauda, our high school sports editor for a swan song for him. We're going to talk a lot of prep sports, our high school sports editing days, and uh, talk about uh, some high school uh, athletes who are getting honored as well. Thanks for joining me here today. Download this podcast. Please write a review. Rate this podcast wherever you get your finer podcasts. Read Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. We'll be back at it again on Thursday.